I'd ask that you would open your Bibles to the epistle of James. Today we enter a new chapter, chapter 4. And though it's a new chapter, the conversation uh, is continuing. You'll hopefully see the flow of it as uh, we continue. In chapter 3, you'll remember that um, James got into a big discussion about the tongue and the power of the tongue. And then after um, talking about the tongue, he moved and began to talk about wisdom. He talked about uh, different types of wisdom, uh, wisdom which he said was from above and wisdom which he said was from below. And he gave us the nature of each of those. And then uh, the conversation continues today into chapter 4, thinking even about um, how tongues how speech was being used in the churches in James' day and how um, it was becoming a a cause of strife and contention for them there. James chapter 4, we're going to read verses uh, 1 through 12. That's our sermon text. And I would remind you that this is God's inspired and infallible word. James chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, It says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we have talked about the solemnity of vows this morning. And when we read texts of your word, there oftentimes is a certain solemnity to them. Because, Lord, they speak of important things and they um, see our hearts. 
Lord, as we look into the mirror of your word, we see our own reflection up against the righteousness of Christ. And Lord, we see how we need to be transformed and shaped and molded by you. And so we would ask, Lord, as we meditate on your word this morning, you would help us. Would you help us to reflect on it? Would you help us to understand it, to remember it, to store it in our hearts? Lord, would you shape us and mold us by your word? We'd ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this summer we had a Sunday school class on Pilgrim's Progress. And in the class, we were introduced to a man who lived in the city of destruction, and he, of course, had a huge burden on his back. And this burdened man met evangelist who pointed him to a gate where he could find help. And the burdened man was named Graceless, but became Christian. He fled from the city and he headed for the gate that he was told about, but on the way he fell into the slough of despond or the slough of despond. Christian struggled through that slough and eventually he became free. And he gets back on the path to the gate until he meets worldly wise man who convinces him um, that he would be better off getting rid of his burden if he went another way. And so Christian takes worldly wise man's path only to find out it's wrong and his burden has become much, much heavier. Similarly, Christians experience strife because they choose to follow a worldly path. In our our passage, James points out the way that the church is going astray, and he urges the church to conduct themselves biblically. You can see that our passage is about quarrels and fights and war. It's about the war within ourselves. It's about the battle we find ourselves in with God and with each other. And you can see that from the opening verse, can't you, that it's about um, these quarrels and fights. James asks, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? How can the church find peace? How can you find peace? How can we get on the right path? These are the questions we'll seek to answer. And you'll see that James begins by saying that Christians experience quarrels and strife because they follow the ways of the world rather than God. You learn that you can gain peace by rejecting the world. That's our first heading. Gain peace by rejecting the world. In chapter 3, James warned us about the power of the tongue. He wanted you to understand that the tongue has the power to direct and it has the power to destroy. And as he continued, he warned about the damage that could be done when the tongue is fueled by jealousy and selfish ambition. He warned that it would result in disorder and evil of every kind, evil such as quarreling and fighting and division. 
Consider verse 1. James asks, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Now, you've got to understand that second question is rhetorical. What causes quarrels and fights among you? It's your passions that are at war within you. James starts by putting his attention right on the core of the problem. It's our heart. It's my heart. It's your heart. But this is not the first time he's, he's touched upon that. It's not the first time he's put his finger on that. In chapter 3, verse 14, he said that our hearts are the problem. And this war... This war, this internal war, every Christian, every Christian finds themselves with this internal war going on within them. Listen, you are not alone. Crazy thoughts run through our minds all the time. You're not alone. We all struggle with temptation. There's an internal tug of war that's going on inside of us because we have an old nature and we have a new nature and they are at war. There's a war between our base desires and our new nature which was given to us by the Holy Spirit which desires to follow after Christ. The Apostle Paul talks about that struggle in Romans 7. He says, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, Evil lies close at hand. I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And it's important to keep in mind that there may be people in the church that have a false profession of faith. If so, they have all the temptation, but without the new nature. It's a one-sided tug-of-war. Jesus warns us about this, didn't he? He said that there would be tares among the wheat. Unbelievers in the visible church. People who are even more prone to starting fires with their tongues than you and me. And James warned that if jealousy and selfish ambition are allowed to take root in our lives, it will manifest itself. In verse 2, he writes, You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. James might be using the term murder here metaphorically, echoing the teaching of Jesus that hating a person is to commit murder in your heart. Or perhaps he's thinking of how King David's desire for Bathsheba led to Uriah the Hittite being murdered. The point is that unchecked covetousness and desire can lead to the most heinous of sins. Sin is like a seed. And if you allow it to take root to be planted in your heart and take root, and if you continue to water it and care for it, that sinful desire will become stronger 
and stronger and stronger until it becomes a life dominating sin, an idol that demands worship. James continues, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. James presents two people. One who doesn't pray, knowing the desire of their prayer is inappropriate. And another who is oblivious. James pleads, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? James invokes Old Testament language to address those in the church who were behaving selfishly. James is intentionally using the term adulterous because that's language that God uses in the prophets when his people are straying from him and chasing after idols when they're being unfaithful to him. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Oh, it's, it's that kind of friend. This is, this is metaphorical language for spiritual adultery. Some in the church have become intimate with the values, desires, and the methods of the fallen world around them, and that relationship has borne fruit. James confronts the church regarding its unfaithfulness. In verse 5, he asks, Do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit? that he has made to dwell in us? The Bible says that the history of fallen humanity is one long story of envy and selfish striving. Christians are betrothed to Christ, and Jesus expects his bride to walk according to his ways rather than the world's. And he doesn't just expect them to do it. He provides them with the power to do it. Consider verse 6. But he gives more grace. A literal translation is, he gives great grace or greater grace. You see, God provides for what he demands. James continues, therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. James says that Christians are expecting quarrels and strife because they are following worldly ways. They're going to need to turn from their sin if they want to find peace. And as our text continues, you see that you can gain peace by turning from sin. That's our second heading. Gain peace by turning from sin. Christians were experiencing quarrels and strife because they were holding on 
to the sinful ways of the world and they wouldn't let them go. And now that James has identified the problem, he begins to turn toward the solution. And he's reminded his readers that God will provide them with the grace to succeed if they're willing to humble themselves. James quoted Proverbs 3.34, which says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And he continues in verse 7, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. This is a call to repentance. Again, James has identified the problem, and now he is pointing to the solution. Unconditional surrender. That's the solution. He begins by saying, submit yourselves to God. This is Christianity 101, isn't it? This is where we all begin as Christians, on our knees before the Lord, begging him for forgiveness, asking him if he would please take us, even us. Acknowledging him as Lord. What did Jesus say about following him? In Luke 9, 23 and 24, he said, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. James is calling us back to basics. He's calling us back to our initial submissiveness to the Lord. We're supposed to follow the Lord, not the ways of the world. And James continues by saying, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Christianity is a supernatural worldview, isn't it? The Bible says there's a spiritual dimension that overlaps ours. And while God doesn't give give us extensive insight in this spiritual dimension, he is quite clear that there is a devil and that we are to take him seriously. We're told to resist the devil And this word resist is a military metaphor that means to stand against. We know this word. It's been used in our culture in recent years. Resist. Fight. Be on guard. Be alert. In Ephesians 4, Paul says not to give an opportunity to the devil. He says that in Ephesians 4.27. Satan is looking to capitalize on any opportunity he could find to slow down the advancement of Christ's kingdom. He wants there to be division in the church. He's looking for an opportunity to disrupt your relationship with God. The last thing Satan wants is peace. The way to resist the devil is to submit to God and embrace the gospel. 
And when you do, the devil will flee from you. In verse 8, James says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. James wants you to draw near to God. And you can only do that because of Christ's atoning sacrifice. But James uses Old Testament imagery to remind you of the reverential fear of the Lord you're to have. So he conjures the imagery of priestly washings and purity rites. Those who drew near to the Lord were set apart from the world and they were holy. Likewise, Christians should be set apart from the world and holy. Scripture calls us a kingdom of priests to our God. 1 Peter 2.9, Revelation 1.6, 5.10, Exodus 19.6. When James says, cleanse your hands and purify your heart, he's pointing to our need of both an outward and an inward change. Wash the outside, but don't forget about the heart James says, don't be double-minded. Don't vacillate. He talked about spiritual adultery earlier. God wants you, he wants your heart exclusively. Exclusively. He doesn't want to share you. Sin is no laughing matter, and James wants you to know it. In verse 9, he writes, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. James is telling you what the attitude of your heart should be toward sin. Sin isn't funny. It destroys lives. It's not to be played with. It ruins relationships. It destroys families. It robs us of peace. It's not okay to ignore your sin as if it's acceptable. Sin is serious. And one mark of true humility is facing the seriousness of sin and turning from it. In verse 10, James writes, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. The problem that seems to have been plaguing the churches in James' day were people vying for leadership positions in the church. For instance, in chapter 3, verse 1, it seems that there were many in the church who wanted to be teachers, and it appears, uh, there appears to be further evidence in chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, that they were struggling uh, internally with jealousy and envy um, along <clears throat> with uh, the opening verse of chapter 4 that says that they were also struggling with quarrels and fights. And so in verse 10, James says, humble yourselves before the Lord. Humble yourselves. God hates the sin of pride. 
God's children don't have to vie for position in his house, in his home. James says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. He will lift you up. He will give you grace. James has identified the problem and now he presents the solution, the antidote. It's repentance. The church needs to turn from their worldly ways. They need to turn away from their selfish ambition and submit themselves to God. You see, the church was experiencing quarrels and strife because people were exalting themselves and acting like judges rather than submitting themselves to the word of God. And as a result, there was strife. And in verses 11 through 12, you see that you can gain peace by yielding to God. That's our third heading. Gain peace by yielding to God. Gain peace by yielding to God. The quarrels and fights that were taking place in James's churches were a direct result of unbridled tongues fueled by jealousy and selfish ambition. James's command to them is straight and it's to the point. In verse 11, he says, <clears throat> do not speak evil against one another, brothers. A more literal translation of the Greek there would be, do not speak down on one another, brothers. James is forbidding more than slander. He's forbidding any speech that runs someone down and harms them. You should never slander someone or make a false statement that will damage a person's reputation. You should spurn malicious speech that lurks with the intent of doing someone harm. Never backbite or disparage others. We need to take care to never malign others and recognize that Scripture says that it is sinful to be a whisperer or a talebearer. Romans 129, Leviticus 19.16. There are more subtle sins of the tongue as well, aren't there? When a person's heart is stirred with jealousy and envy, they might disparage a person and try to diminish that person's worth or value. Maybe they'll spin the truth a bit and, and subtly boast about their own gifts. If you're familiar with the life of King David, you know that his family suffered from grievous sin. So much so that David became estranged from his son Absalom. And after some years, Absalom became jealous of his father and he began a campaign to usurp him. In 2 Samuel 15, it says that Absalom got himself a chariot and some horses and a very large entourage uh, to follow him around. And then he would go and speak at the gate of the city where business was being done and where civil and cr criminal cases were being heard. You see, Absalom had an agenda. He wanted to disparage his father David so that the people would make him king in David's place. So when the people would come and have their cases heard, Absalom would start spinning and he'd start speaking. 
Scripture says that whenever a man would come to have his case heard, Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right, but there's no man designated by the king to hear you. Then Absalom would say, Oh, that I were a judge in the land. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. Thus Abraham did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Absalom spoke evil of his father, and he sat in judgment of him. His unbridled tongue was loosed for years, and in the end, there was a coup, and it didn't go well for the young man. His sinful speech divided a nation, which was also the church. He divided the nation with his tongue, and he cost many people their lives, including his own. James says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. James has referred to the scriptures as the law multiple times in this letter uh, up to this point. Um, the scriptures and the law are synonymous terms for James. And he says that if you speak against others and judge them, you speak against the law and judge the law. That is, if you choose to disregard the Bible, especially the law to love your neighbor, you're putting yourself in a position to, to decide which commandments need to be obeyed and which ones don't. You're sinfully putting yourself outside and above the word of God in that sense you've become its judge. But you are to be a doer of the law. James says, These people, these people, they are not doers of the law. That is, ones who hear it and put it into practice. No, he says, you've exalted yourself and you've taken a seat on God's throne. In verse 12, James says, there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. By setting yourself up, is having the right to decide which laws you ought and, and ought not obey. You've usurped God's role. James asks, who are you to judge your neighbor? And we need to be careful here. Scripture doesn't forbid making judgments. It requires it. For example, the Bible says to beware of false prophets. How can we determine whether they're true or false without judging them against Scripture? Likewise, Paul chastises the elders of the Corinthian church for not making a judgment regarding serious sin that was being tolerated in the church. It's a Christian's duty to exercise judgment. 
but it's not their duty to stand over others in the place of God. If we're going to pursue peace and yield to the word of God, we'll cease speaking against others and judging them. When James speaks of judging others, he's forbidding judgmentalism. He's talking about having a judgmental spirit that is critical and uncharitable towards others. When that kind of spirit is given voice, people become run down. James is saying, do you want peace with one another? Then begin yielding to God's word. Bridle your tongue so that the word of God is your guide. If you want peace with one another, yield yourselves to God. The churches under James's care seem to have been struggling with disunity because of the selfish ambition of a few. Some appear to have been trying to advance themselves in the church. Perhaps they were using tactics similar to Absalom to do so. In any case, the things that were being said were resulting in quarrels and fights. In this passage, James identifies the problem and he says that each one of us is prone to sin. We're not always going to get everything we want. We need to keep the desires of our hearts in check. We're to cast off worldliness and look to the Lord to lead our lives. Look to him to open doors. Look to him if doors become closed. Trust him. Wait upon him. And recognize that sin will rob you of peace and create a distance between you and God. James is calling upon the church to turn from sin and to love one another. He says that we'll find peace by surrendering and yielding to God. That we should follow the Lord Jesus by submitting to his word. And remember verse 6, God will provide you the grace to do it. We saw that Christian got off the right path when he took the counsel of Mr. Worldly Wiseman, but then he was pointed back, if you know the story, he was pointed back to the correct path that led him to the cross where he fell to his knees and his burden was removed. If you're burdened by sin, if you're burdened by sin and you're in need of forgiveness and restoration, it's found at the cross. The same place where Christian found it in Pilgrim's Progress. If you confess your sin and ask God to forgive you, he will do it. Gain peace by rejecting the world, turning from sin, and yielding to God. It's the recipe for peace. Amen. Let's pray.